0: You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.
1: I want to welcome everyone. This is Liz Cook at Core Awareness. And my podcast series is something that I'm very excited about. Today I have Jessie Mendez. And I'm thrilled that Jessie agreed to come on. Hi, Jessie. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Jessie Mendez is the director of Wild Essence Yoga School. And that's an online and international sisterhood of educational movement for women offering courses ranging from instinctual women's wellness program to what they call the wild mystics yoga nature and magic facilitation and these are trainings and ways or wild essence yoga school digs beyond the typical yoga teacher training curriculum it's the lineage of intuition based connection teachings worldwide and pours from the dark mysticism and rich soil of the feminine vibration on the planet in order to honor and recalibrate the whole so mm. worthy a worthy project
2: <sighs>
1: intention mm. so I want to say a little more about Jesse because um she is a self-defined uh, sacred feminine alchemist and wild woman, <laughs> and she's the director and lead trainer of the Wild Essence Yoga School. So welcome, Jesse.
2: Thank you so much. It's, hearing you read the words, I can feel them over again where they come from. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, good
1: choice of words in my uh, being able to absorb them. Yeah, I think it's so
2: important. It's so important for them to arrive for me. Like, I I feel like I have to sit and I have to wait for the words to be the ones that are going to be closest to what the sensation feels like, if that makes sense when I'm writing.
1: Absolutely.
2: I know you know that feeling.
1: (laughs) I do. Mm. I do. And I was uh, having my new book, Stalking Wild Soas, just come out. One of the feedback to it was just that that people could actually let the words land yes in their soma Mm -hmm. they did they vibrated there so i think words have this power as we know
2: yeah
1: um but they have a power literally if we allow them to come up from the very Mm -hmm. depths of ourselves to resonate a frequency that another person can then
2: actually digest and assimilate Mm -hmm. yeah and that's that portal that you talk about so often of of allowing things to arrive rather than um pushing them into existence if that makes sense just the way that we're we are conditioned and, and the way that our society teaches us to come up with things or to to intelligent them or to create them with our minds instead of allowing that arrival, which I think it, you can really truly feel it with being even around other people who are pulling from that space and, and accessing that, that space of, of knowing rather than having to think it or bring it into being i think there's something to that that you can truly feel the difference in the vibration and the strength of the vibration of it because it's not diluted by what the mind wants to do to things if that makes sense
1: absolutely the knowing piece is a big part of my work because um because the psoas is Mm. um is uh right there in that uh belly brain and and is vibrating that information Mm. And I, I am challenged as a teacher often to differentiate for people um, knowing that yeah. you, can, you can think something, but mm-hmm. to know it is mm-hmm. to, to not disregard what my mind thinks, but to simply mm-hmm. know it from a place that's mm-hmm. very other.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um,, it's not yeah. something that you can rationalize into understanding. And I think that's the it, the the concept is that the question itself is where there is a a lack of that comprehension um on that level, if that makes sense. So it's like it's so experiential that there's no amount of studying that will ever do it justice. You can understand absolutely. it absolutely understanding. It will just never do it justice. It's like it, it's like trying to explain to someone what it felt like the first time that you ever felt truly in love or truly um, the, the depth of loss or something like that. You can't put that into any kind of format that will, that will do it justice. It can come close and it can, you, know, you can allow the words to arrive and they can, they can paint a picture and the picture can then create the experience within the person, but that experience is beyond words. And so we can do our best to let the words arrive, so that they come from as close to that vibration as possible. I think is the is the work that I'm trying to do.
1: Well, it's beautiful work, and and that's why we're here today because I want people to uh, hear you and get to know you. I've not worked with you, you've not worked with me, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I will tell a little later why how we did meet, but. Before we head there, I want to go right into uh, your story a little bit because I think mm. that helps people, um, uh, curiosity, but also yeah. understanding a depth and a, that, that a young woman has um, mm. and how you've come to this. So I'm, what I want to read, everyone, is something that uh, arrived in my inbox um, mm. in 2018. Mm Because I I get your your emails. Mm -hmm. And it says When I was 19 years old, I took my first yoga class after growing tired of the memorized videos I'd been doing at home. I was Mm -hmm. awkward, in so much pain after aggressively losing 100 pounds, emotionally numbed, goal oriented, stubborn, judgmental, and naive with my swollen ego and reiki certification i thought i was Mm -hmm. qualified to heal others as though Mm -hmm. that is even possible Mm. when i entered into my first yoga teacher's training and started excavating deep-seated self-loathing guilt fear and shame i quickly realized how personal the process of healing truly is Mm. i put healing in quotations because over the last 10 years of seeking answers for my pain outlets for my grief healers to alleviate my suffering and spiritual distractions of all sorts Mm. I've come to one humorous conclusion (laughs) I've been chasing my tail Mm. no matter how many hundreds of hours I studied anatomy the pain I experienced in my body would not subside until I chose to disempower the construct binding it to my body Mm. No matter how much I journaled, analyzed, or tried to figure out the origins of my belief systems, they refused to unravel their hold until it was my choice to recognize mm. their falsity. Mm. No matter how nurturing the hands of any healer or how insightful their intuition, they were completely powerless to my free will, and only mm. I could choose to dismantle my suffering. We are actually fully and completely whole and healed, and yet we convince ourselves with the fuel of society that everything is broken and that some magic pill, magic person, or magic information will be our cure.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. All along this hilarious tail-chasing journey, the soul of the world smiles patiently just waiting for that moment
0: the Mm -hmm. single
1: solitary moment that we choose to see it all as it truly is. Mm -hmm. And from that moment, everything we sought outside of our own being becomes moot, because we recognize that all of it, the wisdom, the healer, the outlet, the magic, is us, as we are Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. This is a decade later, and I expect a decade from now my truest self will see much more clearly and speak in even more ambiguity until then Mm -hmm. I am flushed with gratitude for the ceasing to grasp Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I am so thankful that I no longer require the validation of anything outside of myself to know that I am holy enough Mm -hmm. this place is sweet because here I can learn as it comes Mm -hmm. I can observe the patterns as they arise And I can consistently witness that each choice I make determines my relationship with reality.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. That's pretty fucking yummy. Wow.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, the whole time you're reading, I was like, I wrote that. (laughs) I know, it's not not always the way it goes. It's
1: like, wow, it really does. does Or was I written? I was written. (laughs) I was written. I, I just it, you can see written. that it just comes through. My gosh, <laughs> it's
2: it's like the way you read it too. Just it paints the it paints the story all over again from the beginning. You know, and the and there's so much more to come. It's so it's it's so obvious that that amount of unraveling that happened just in that ten year period, and how much how much can happen in such a short time, and how how different of a of an entity you can actually witness yourself as in such a short period, you know, in in that transition happening in that way. Remembering that exciting. woman
1: that I was. Yeah. Yeah. And what a lovely woman you are. And I mm-hmm. want you to talk a little bit about mm-hmm. how it feels to to um to be where you are right now in your awareness mm-hmm. and in your you know knowing that young girl you're yeah. uh, you're 28 29 somewhere
2: right I'll around I'll be there. 29 next week yeah <laughs> okay well
1: happy birthday thank you and I uh, just turned 70
2: you are so incredible
0: so
1: I can only we are on uh, a very similar discovery path and yet you arrived a much earlier time than I did um, mm-hmm. and and I find that to be uh, delightful and mm. so exciting to watch young women such as yourself come into this incredible awareness of themselves and 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 the power and and one of the things that um, you you talk about is the purpose of your work is um, mm. is to attune to the wise whispers of nature for the mm. sole purpose of the embodiment, activation, and reclamation of the wild feminine on the planet.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Um yeah. So one of the reasons I invited you among many mm. is this wild feminine, this yeah. calling home the wild, the wise, the hag, the witch, and the mm. wolf. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. <Yes. laughs> yeah and um, so speak to that a little
1: bit yeah absolutely
2: well I I first want to honor you because it is it's the work of the, the generations that have come before me that has paved the way for there to even be the possibility of this you know the the environment of society that that you had to navigate in you know the last 40 years between us like that that period of time and the world as it was and society as it was has a lot to do with i think why um it's significantly more accessible to me now to begin to work with some of this and that that's because of the women who who fought in in a much more difficult place to fight when their voices were even even smaller than they are now and i think that 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 is a huge, huge thing not to to overlook for me is that, you know, my grandmother teaches me often that when she, she brings this up quite often, that when she was in the, the hospital with her first, having her first baby, she was the only woman who insisted upon nursing her child and would not take formula for the baby. And I just, I think about those types of things and my mother who was, told that she couldn't get up and walk around when she was going to have her child and she was you know glued to a, a a table and then cut open because you know they were telling her that she didn't have that she didn't know her her own body and the the kind of wars that the women of the generations before me have fought to get to the place where I have the opportunity to even look into some of the things that I have had the uh, the blessing to look into and and not be burned at the stake for them you know that kind of work is is monumental and so i just i want to honor all of the generations that have come before me of of women who have been seeking and and calling themselves home because it's it's powerful it's powerful and it's it's felt with immense gratitude and so that that's a piece for me that i don't want to overlook um but Thank you. I, I, I
1: wanna say mm-hmm. something about that though. Let's bring it over again for a minute. Is that yes. that that is true because part of it's the uh industrialized birth complex. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that and and the problem is that hasn't actually changed. I know. And so when I sit with a group of women in Copenhagen, yeah. I've had three babies in my life, uh, given yes. birth to three babies. Um mm-hmm. Uh, I've conceived five babies. Um, but uh, those three babies that came through me, um, mm. were born at home.,
2: yeah.
1: and I made a a very conscious decision that that's where my my body would be safest,
2: yeah, where
1: where I would feel safe. And I have a sense of that wildness inside me that knew that mm-hmm. that the earth was going to I mm-hmm. knew my body knew how to give birth yes. but what I sat in that group of women in Copenhagen mm-hmm. in the uh, workshop I do with Anna for on womb mm-hmm. to world the journey that shapes our life yes. I saw all these young women
2: mm-hmm. who had
1: surrendered their power yeah who said exactly. I I, I lost my voice. I mm-hmm. gave up my right. I mean, they yep. claimed that they let go of the mm-hmm. process and believed whatever they told them or surrendered and, mm-hmm. and surrendered to the, the violence that they individually each experienced. And I just yes. sat there and cried for it's them. It's horrible, yeah. And so it hasn't actually changed from your grandmother's no.
2: situation. No, it has more and more changed. people that are, are willing to have their babies at home. I think it's really beautiful to see like one of the women who did my more recent training and uh, she wasn't planning obviously to have a, a baby and she was planning to take her 300 hour training <laughs> and and she she became pregnant and she decided to continue on her journey through her 300 hour training through her pregnancy and really faced so many of those decisions that that women in our society now are facing that are very much fear versus power and it's very yes. much you know how much can we scare these women into doing whatever it is that we think is going to make us the most money and and it's 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 sick but i just i feel that if it weren't for women like my auntie who gave birth at home and if it weren't for women who like you know in may who wrote the book on spiritual midwifery and Yes. People sharing this and empowering, you know, women in my in my generation and in my stage of life to, if I were to decide to have children, to know that I have those options and to speak about them outwardly. Like slowly, at least that voice exists and it's there, and they can act, they can find that they can search online and they can look you know, into midwives and they have that opportunity to see that other women have had their babies in rice fields and have had their babies outside and that they are able, at least the information is accessible to them, that it exists, that this is a choice of yours that you can make. But it's still exactly as you're saying, it's still so much the mainstream idea is to infuse this immense amount of fear and disempower. And that's exactly what we've done to nature that 's exactly what we 're doing to women as a whole on the planet, and that 's exactly what my work is rooted in is this concept of we are missing this huge component of ourselves, which is the, the the same reason why we ended up where we did singing over the bones is this excavation is this calling back home of a part of the whole and ultimately, one of the main imbalances that i 'm witnessing at least at, at my stage of life and at my you know, viewpoint now is just this, this idea that we don't need nature to, <laughs> that we can do all this thinking and all this planning and you know, throw up these big structures and we can just completely ignore the fact that should she decide at any moment that she'd like to wipe us all out, she can. And this this immense power that we've just completely neglected and the way that we're treating the planet as a whole is the exact way that we're treating women. It, yes. we're, we're, we think we can control her. We think we can put her in some sort of a box and that 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 she won't rip down not only the box that she's in, but everything around her in the process. And then we're wondering why we're having the kind of imbalances overall that we're having and and we're seeing it it's a microcosm macrocosm thing we're witnessing it in nature just as we're witnessing it in women and okay so stop
1: there for a minute stop there for a minute i want to i want to weave in a piece
2: i want to weave
1: in uh the calling in of the bones so so you work with uh, uh Through intuitively intelligent movement medicine practices powerful circles Mm -hmm. ceremony and you speak of calling back what is instinctual raw Mm -hmm. and authentically present in the bones and that Mm -hmm. brings us to where you and I met because we both attended a week-long retreat and educational program with dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes and it was called singing over the bones yeah. And one of the things that uh, to introduce people, if you don't know
2: mm-hmm. who
1: we're speaking of, is uh, the Dr. Estes is who wrote Women Who Run With the Wolves. Mm-hmm. And it became, it's called Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype. Mm-hmm. And that was in 1992. Mm-hmm. And this book... Um, was, is an essential training for, yeah. for women to regain uh, their soul, to take yeah. back that power, to mm-hmm. to recognize their deep roots and to honor and yeah. trust them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, um, this year is uh, actually Dr. st 's last time to teach Singing Over the Bones.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and... Uh, one of the things she's really interested in doing is instructing, particularly girls and young women of the new yeah. millennium, to use mm-hmm. the book as a personal guide and companion. Yeah. And her understanding of the depth of perception and the female psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the wildness and how to reconnect with your wildness is where I really mm-hmm. want to take our conversation because sure. part of the reiteration of the story of how the how it's been stolen is an important piece mm-hmm. but more importantly how is how it we reconnect yeah. to our bones how do we feel things in our bones because mm-hmm. for me when you're in your bones the wild woman shows up and yeah. she literally you know says, "Fuck you get out of mm-hmm. my way you yeah. are not going to tell me how to birth this baby and exactly. yet women don't have that maybe because of their own birth experience
2: yeah
1: uh, maybe because the their their choice of choosing to believe in the industrial process
0: the mm-hmm. fears
1: all of that stuff but but yeah. one of the things that comes out of a quote that I think is important from Dr. Mm-hmm. Estes, He yeah. said, bone by bone, hair mm-hmm. by hair, wild woman comes back. Mm-hmm. Through night dreams, through events half understood and half remembered, mm-hmm. wild woman comes back.
2: Mm-hmm. And that answers your question when you asked me before, you know, what does it feel like to be now in in the space that I am, it it has felt like this, it has felt like taking back slowly parts of myself that have just been kind of buried underneath, you know, pounds and pounds of of heavy soil that has been necessary for me to move through it in order to find them, but they're part of you always. So it's this idea of seeking things outside of ourselves, seeking answers, seeking um, prescriptions seeking that you know, this idea that something outside of me has the answers and I must take things away or I must add things in order to to be whole to be enough to be you know as I am and I think that wild woman is just is always and doesn't require any anything other than presence anything other than dropping into her and that's the idea of the bone calling you into that space is that to, to be fully in your bones and present in your bones as, as we played around on the deck outside in Colorado when I first met you, to be fully in them, you immediately drop into that place where there's no more efforting. There's no more um, fighting to get there because it's not, it's not a there. It's always been present. And so you're, you're actually arriving back. You're reclaiming. You're stepping back into something that is it's, it's, it's primal. It's been there all along. And it's almost funny, exactly like my, my email. It's almost funny when you arrive back there because you're like, what the hell? Where was I going? Why was I running in that direction when everything has always been here? You know? You land. Yeah, you land. It's a you're landing.
1: I, I talk about locating and landing and that the, the pri- primal psoas is uh, what it's messaging is that we're not landed. Mm. We haven't yeah. landed. And yeah. when we're not landed, there's a fear response in yes. which you're vulnerable to be eaten. Mm-hmm. That's the primary connection run. to the zoas is that, you're, yeah, is that, you know, when you're, if you're part of a pack, for example, the an yeah. animal, you know, and you're the one who's uh, unsure, is uh, hobbling along, is disoriented, you will be eaten. Yep. And so that's what primal psoas is always talking about. It, safety isn't outside, safety is inside. Safety mm. is a sense of presence, of having landed and showing up in space and time right now.
2: Mm. hmm. And I think that's the moment where these are practices that can begin to reclaim Wild Woman in in, in ourself is all of the work that you are doing as far as the, the way that we are experiencing our reality, the way that we're experiencing our flesh and our bone, and also these these instinctual urges towards what it is that we crave to call us back into our equilibrium, if ever anything has knocked us over, which the the society and the environment that we currently live in is constantly throwing us off of our off of our equilibrium and it's how quickly we come back and land again and sometimes that is just standing still sometimes it's reaching for a plant teacher sometimes it's there was a moment when we were in Colorado where i knew that it hadn't rained in that part of the world for quite a long time and there were forest fires and there were things happening that were really it was it was upsetting to me to, to feel that. And even though I know that those fires would create ash that would actually, you know, enrich the forests overall, it still, it still was aching for rain. There was no doubt that there was an aching for rain. And so when it started to rain, my first instinctual response that before it was filtered or before my mind got a chance to come in was, whatever I'm wearing currently doesn't matter, I need to go run down the hallway and go play in the rain immediately. And there was there's this moment where previously in my life, I might have said, maybe I should wear clothes to do this, or maybe I should not do this, because others will feel these things. And, and then there's this no go, and you go running. And when I got out there, and I realized that I was the only one who followed that, that instinct in that moment. And then I looked and there was a, a pack of women standing by watching me. And I'm sure some of them felt like it. Some of them didn't feel like it. But afterwards, 25 or 30 women said, I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't, uh, th- th- this was incomprehensible to me because I was like, but, th- but you can do that. That's right. Yes. <laughs> you, you can. Mind you, if you don't want to, don't. But if there's something in you that calls you. And you just continuously suppress that calling, whatever it might be, it's just going to keep calling. And you can spend your whole life sticking that in some pocket that it's not allowed to come out or you can go and go stick your feet in the mud and you can go and you can commune with nature when you feel called to do so. And you can lean into those those callings home, you know, those those landings back into your your actual essence of what you're made of. And that I think is Nothing feels more honest than when you're listening to those, even if nothing around you understands what you're doing. Because I think that that's, oftentimes we want, to be, we want to be understood as we are. And I think that in, instead, if we could allow people to just witness or the world to just witness us in our, in our wholeness without needing them to understand or needing it to make sense to anyone, it came from somewhere within you that you required something in order to remember in that moment whatever it was, whether it was to make noise or to, to growl or to stretch in a funny way that no one understood or to, to take off your clothes because in that moment you felt restricted by them or whatever it might be, that concept of being so incredibly caged by what we think is acceptable is really preventing us from feeling Some of what we're capable of feeling on a daily basis, I think. Absolutely, and
1: that's that's a big. It's part of um, it's part of the the decolonization of our soul, and and is to recognize the impulse and to recognize Mm. what cuts us from the impulse is actually already inside of us. We don't need someone outside. <laughs> telling exactly. me not do it <laughs> because exactly. I've already they stopped can. myself. Yeah, but right. I've already stopped myself. I've yeah. stopped myself. I've internalized. Mm-hmm. So although culture defines the wild as untamable, feral mm-hmm. out of yeah. control, riotous, ridiculous, rash, mm-hmm. stupid, mm-hmm. impractical, and tempestuous, mm-hmm. temp- temp- these mm-hmm. are words in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. These are the words in the dictionary. That's what wild <laughs> means. Okay. Yep. Okay. Oh. It is by w- welcoming the wild that we avoid because here goes the opposite: living a domesticated, indifferent, yes. and unenthusiastic life.
2: Yes, and uninspired. Okay. I mean,
1: that's. Oh. I mean, look at the co- contrast between those two. Ah, But I
2: I will never, nothing in me would ever be okay with that I would, I would, I would be dying rapidly inside every moment of every day, to accept that as my reality. Like there are so many moments where the idea of putting on shoes just feels it feels unfair to my being. (laughs) There's these, there's so many moments that I just I, I have to recognize that I refuse to live this way that I've that I've been conditioned to believe is the way that you're supposed to live right and and there's this idea of that and exactly as you say the conditioning is so ingrained from such a a small age that no one else even has to pass a judgment you've already done it yourself that's right those women all stood there
1: they all stood there and stopped themselves
2: yeah Every single woman and it just it broke my heart, but it also was incredibly inspiring because I've also been witness to and experienced what it feels like to be in spaces where because of the fact that I choose to live in an uninhibited way, that it, that it invites and offers the opportunity and I don't want to say gives permission, but I feel like each woman gives themselves permission that they never needed in the first place in that moment to go, yep, I am going to sunbathe topless because I've never done that before. And why have I never done that before? And why am I looking at that old man's nipples but I'm hiding mine? I'm very confused. You know, why (laughs) is it okay? Why is it okay for him to have his nipples out but I can't have my nipples out and mine have a function and his don't even have a function. And he's over there, you know, having the greatest time ever freely exposing. (laughs) What is what is why is that okay? You know, why is that something that I've just accepted as he's allowed to walk around and 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 be in his freedom to have himself exposed in that way? And I'm not. And why have I decided that I'm not? And that that concept of as silly as that is, you know, I was just recently in Aruba and I had that moment where I was asked, I was sitting by the pool, mind you, whenever I'm on the beach, I'm, I don't care. I'm going to wear whatever I'm wearing or not wear whatever I'm not wearing. I, it's my experience with the sun and the nature and no one else is involved in that. And if they involve themselves, then that's on them. I don't, <laughs> that has nothing to do with me. And so I was up by the pool and I had someone ask me, it was basically like, you're too close to the restaurant to, ha- to, to be topless, basically. And I was like, I was just so baffled by this concept because I looked around and I see men with their nipples out and i don't understand the difference between mine and theirs except for mine have a function and theirs don't have a function and those kind of moments where you're like this i've just accepted this as uh, that, that this is fine and we start So i want to challenge it well. you
1: i'm going to challenge yeah. you on on, on yes. because you're taking us to exactly exactly yeah. the uh, unconscious perception of yeah. wild yeah. An uninhibited person who thinks they can do whatever they want anywhere they want is yeah. exactly what society has found offensive. Because yeah. although you're on the beach, maybe I'm there with my children and my husband. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm there um, mm-hmm. in some other capacity, and yeah. I haven't. And and so there's agreed upon social rules for mm-hmm. what is comfortable in social settings. and what I want to challenge around that is that that people unconsciously the minute I we start to talk about wild that's exactly Mm -hmm. what they go to is nakedness sexual Mm -hmm. freedom Mm -hmm. um, and no morals in regard to social conduct Mm -hmm. So you've brought up the you've brought Mm -hmm. up what we call the the poisonous and Mm -hmm. and if you're in certain cultures as we know Uh, being naked together doesn't mean anything it's socially Mm -hmm. acceptable then you go to some other part of the world and uh, everyone is clothed, and men don't Mm -hmm. have their nipples out and neither do women Um, Mm -hmm. and certain situations allow certain amount of uh, exposure of body and others Mm -hmm. don't and so there's Mm -hmm. all these different ranges but Mm -hmm. wildness is not about how I behave in the social world in exactly. how I choose to make decisions within exactly. myself in regard to my connection or my mm-hmm. expression right. of life itself so right. in the animal kingdom mm-hmm. there is uh, there is also various you could call behaviors or social mm-hmm. conduct among mm-hmm. different mammals in different situations mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. When I think of wild, right. um, the first thing I think of is how it's Stephen Harold uh, Booner's uh, mm. quote from his book on, uh, on wild plants. And yeah. he says this, one of our greatest fears is to eat the wilderness of the world. Mm-hmm. Our mothers intuitively understood something essential. Mm-hmm. The green is poisonous to civilization. If we eat the wild, it begins to work inside us, altering Mm. us, changing us. Mm. And soon, if we eat too much, we will no longer fit the suit that has been made for us. Mm. Our hair will grow, begin to grow long and ragged. Our gait Mm. and how we hold our body will change. Mm -hmm. A wild light begins to gleam in our eyes. Mm -hmm. Our words start to sound strange, Mm nonlinear,
2: emotional,
1: (laughs) unpractical. Yeah. poetic mm-hmm. and once we have tasted this wilderness mm-hmm. we begin to hunger for a food long denied us mm-hmm. and the more we eat of it the more we will awaken
2: exactly it's so beautiful It's so beautiful and I think it's a range of, of allowing that whatever just like I use if you were explaining about impulse you know when i when i speak of for example nakedness there's that experience within me of of denying that impulse and the shame surrounding my body so my relationship with nature has that has been a part of my practice of allowing myself to be comfortable and and hole in my skin. So there are aspects of that that are a part of my own practice. And there are also aspects of just coming home to being with nature as a part of me. And whether that be that I'm actually sitting outside in it, or whether that I'm sitting in my bones inside of my house or whatever it is, that space of some things just don't fit, you know, like, why, why must I do these things, we start asking why, like you're saying, the clothes don't fit any longer, or we start, we start craving something more than what we are conditioned to be fed. And that it just isn't, it just isn't nourishing, you know, you look around, and you're like, that doesn't serve me, that isn't, that doesn't work for me, that isn't going to give me the remembering that I know is possible. And and so many things start to fall away. From the conditioned patterns of what's acceptable with the way that we have to carry ourselves in society in order to be whatever we think we're supposed to be, I don't even understand it anymore i'm trying I'm trying to understand what exactly these constructs were created to do aside from disempower and control and so there's there's a lot of things that just don't fit any longer from that, if that makes sense
1: I think that that um, that there's two two branches I see growing here and one is the individual and one is the cultural and and uh, one of the conversations I've been following is Mm. the cultural body um, as well as my personal body Mm. and and I and so for me the one branch is the personal body which is there there's such a thing called inhibition And inhibition has its role in that, you know, we learn to recognize certain sensations that tell us that we need to pee. Mm
2: -hmm. Our bladder
1: is full. And Mm -hmm. and as little kids, when we learn um, that if we can sense it, when we catch that moment, if we can Mm -hmm. actually go and empty our bladder and then we don't pee on the floor. And that's an inhibition that serves us all, especially in workshop settings. You know, I'm really glad nobody pees on the floor. You know, it makes my life (laughs) a lot easier. Okay. So, like, there's a place for inhibition. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and then there's inhibition that begins to overwhelm the system in which it shuts down the system. It doesn't empower me to, you know, it empowers me to know that when I pee, I could go pee outside in my yard. You know, mm. I could go pee on the, along the side of the road. I could go pee in a toilet somewhere. I could, mm-hmm. you know, I might not pee in the middle of the city, you know, mm-hmm. or in an elevator because I've been on those yeah. elevators, you know. They're not great yeah. places to to hang mm-hmm. out in. Um, mm. And so I appreciate that people I use toilets, with, but I also am very happy to go, you know, pee in the outdoors, you know. Yeah. And so... Mm-hmm but there's other people who couldn't possibly pee in the outdoors yeah you know their, their sense of animal instinct of that yeah. I am an animal I could just pee anywhere um, yeah. is disconnected you yeah. know and exactly. that's the that's the place where I see the difference between an inhibition being useful and an inhibition
2: yeah. becoming restrictive. right exactly and I yeah. talk about this when I, when I work with, with the five types of female orgasm and the experience that we often prevent from happening as women. And, and there are so many. I've, I've now gotten, I think, basically case studies from all of the women that have been working through these programs with me as to what types of um, impulse reactions and what type of sensations arise that we shut down and it's funny that you mentioned peeing because that's the first sensation that a woman feels before female ejaculation is that sensation of i feel like i might pee and even though they've studied that that fluid and i know that you you know you work has so so much intimate work with fluids and they've studied that that fluid that they call amrita the nectar of the gods the the female ejaculate as yes, you know, because it comes through the urethra has, you know, aspects of, of urine, but is not actually urine. And yet the the first instinct that a woman has is to go, I can't pee on someone else, I'm not supposed to pee. But ultimately, there's this experience of, of her nature of her primal nature that is being shut down in that moment, because of her inhibition, of uh, you know, towards, I'm not supposed to feel this, or with cervical orgasm, the fact that that space is is such a portal between worlds for so many women, and holds so much information and so much um, fear, and for so many women is such a sensitive, painful place to contact, and and yet on the other side of that, they've actually found. I was doing a bunch of research with um, the cadavers that they've dissected and I was looking and I was that there are so many nerve endings behind the cervix and that cervical orgasms are something that not anywhere near as many women have experienced. Because as soon as they experience that first response of pain, that's that reaction, that fear based reaction to clench and to resist, rather than to lean into what might be on the other side of that. There's so much experience of that knowing that is on the other side of some of those immediate reactions to stop something from from happening or to stop ourselves from feeling something or to to growl or to howl or to to experience our our nature in that primal way that is it's innate it's in there and yet we are so restrictive within our own experience of some of that that I think is really a beautiful part of exploring what what knowing might be hiding in some of those cracks and some of those immediate impulses and just to be aware of them when they come and decipher like you said whether or not this is useful or whether or not this is something that you know I've I've created and is a restriction if that makes sense that's fabulous yeah yeah
1: well you know I here's the the interesting thing is that Mm. young women such as yourself are exploring Mm. um, their bodies in
2: Mm.
1: in provocative ways that I I maybe was out there when I was younger but it was Mm -hmm. hidden in language and it was maybe I don't know maybe it was inhibited in Mm. in or maybe I wasn't in contact with it Um, You know I explored, for example, the oh, full body wave motion that the SOAS is part of the uh, mm-hmm. orgasmic response, you know through Wilhelm Reich's work, you know but I didn't yeah. read it through women's work. Yeah. And, yeah. and so one of the things I want to ask you as a young woman yeah. is yeah. how have you uh, I mean to me you're, you, you remind me of a, a sea creature who has you know I mean come out of the the water and shed her her skin I mean Mm. I mean I mean I know I know when I was a young woman I lost you know 15 pounds and my whole organism became totally different you know and and I was really thin but I I went on a fast and you know I lost 15 pounds so I thought I was Mm -hmm. just a little I don't know hummingbird by then you know Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. 105 pounds you know yeah, I mean, you know, for a short period of time, you know. So I know yeah. when it like, changed my perception. And I, I have to ask you, like, you lost a hundred pounds and I saw the image you put up of yourself and what you look like now and I'm not talking about looking I'm talking about sensory wise I want you to talk a little bit about how you embraced this shift in yourself Mm. as you took off that other skin as you came out of that digging out of literally what you said the earth you know Mm. you felt like you know you were buried and and I think you know you you found your way out One is, what was the impulse of finding your way out? Because when we're buried that deep, sometimes there is no where is out. You know, where where does out exist? But the longing, I want you to speak Mm -hmm. of longing because to me the metamorphosis that you went through Mm -hmm. is like that ability to shed a skin or shed a a way of being in yourself that was no longer... Vital to you, that no longer mm-hmm. fed you, and something inside of you longed for something else it wasn 't a mental mm-hmm. concept i don 't believe it no, was something no. that longed to emerge out of that mm-hmm. cocoon mm-hmm. that
2: yeah. had been built I, around you it 's funny because i don 't know that I understood what was happening as it was happening, obviously always in a clarity in in hindsight is much more than when it was happening. But I do remember, I had been heavy my whole life. So I had been heavy since the, the first time I actually said this to my husband the other day. So the first time that I ever thought that I was fat was when I was six. So I had experienced a lifetime of of feeling like I was bigger than everybody else. And what i didn't realize i think until it started to shed was that that had become a a protective mechanism a um a cushion to protect a, a vulnerable very very hypersensitive true nature and I didn't now looking back, I recognize that throughout most of my life, I was incredibly hypersensitive to all things. I was, I was the type that I still turn my socks inside out because the seam of the socks is is an irritant to the top of my toes. Now, and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that that was always part of my nature and that I had built kind of like, um, like walls, to protect me. And that was through, you know, indulging in sugar and and creating this, this thickness, this cushion that would keep my inside parts safer. And I know that 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 was definitely what was happening. And there was a sense of security in that, that as I started to shed that layer that I actually felt more self-conscious and felt more vulnerable and more exposed and more scared and more anxious and that i recognized that those layers that i was piling on top were were representative of my of my strange relationship with feeling safe and whether or not i had ever felt safe and so in shedding that, and when it all came off was in 2008 or 9. and I had this moment where I, I felt naked, I felt raw, I felt um, that I had, that I had re- removed my safety. And so it was a recognition of how do I access that knowing in a way that is actually more nourishing for me, and how do I remember that I'm safe in a way that doesn't require me putting the, the coat back on, if that makes sense mm mm-hmm. and and so there was this even to to initiate it in the first place came from a place of, of just sitting in the dark and having a moment where I just had enough and I had numbed myself to a point where I couldn't feel anything anymore and that was what that protective layer was meant to do that was what I had created and so instead of looking at it as you know, I I know that when people carry extra weight, oftentimes they start to have a very hateful relationship with the fat tissue as, you know, you, you are this horrible thing that I don't want on me. And I had recog I started to recognize that this is a a layer of protection that I had actually asked for, and that I had called in and that I had contributed to creating, and that it wasn't the tissue's fault. And so that the the hateful relationship that I had with it had to shift. And as that started to come off and I started to recognize it, and I started to recognize how how hateful I had gotten towards these outer layers, that there was not even a relationship between the inner and the outer anymore. It was just this this thick heaviness on top of me that was supposed to keep the world out. And as it started to come away and I started to feel the impact of my sensitivity and I started to feel scared again, you know, really, truly scared again, rather than numb. And it was a matter of how do I sit with that fear? And now I have to find other ways of navigating and and sitting in the center of the reason why it came to be in the first place. So there's, that's a
1: beautiful, that's yeah. a beautiful description. Thank you so mm. much for sharing yeah.
2: that.
1: It's very important for people to hear. I, I One of the things that I, when I work with people I'm starting to recognize is mm. that whether it's just being in constructive rest or yeah. you know, being quiet with themselves, starting mm. to sense into themselves, one of the things they start to notice is that they're numb. And they yeah. ask me the question like, you know, like, I feel numb, yeah. and and it, the same thing would happen in workshops when people would start to get into their core. And I noticed mm-hmm. in the workshop when I was a, a younger teacher that people were starting to either um, get uh, kind of uh, irritated yeah. or, or you know like they were they were starting to get mm-hmm. grouchy. And mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, gee, what do I need to do to entertain them or what? Do I? And then I thought, <laughs> Oh no this; they're in their core. And this yes. is why they left. This is why yes. they left, is these mm-hmm. feelings of, you know, mm-hmm. and so and when you say the numbness then started when it wore off, and I, I yeah. liken it to like a limb falling asleep. Yep. And mm-hmm. when, you're, when it's asleep, you're not aware of it's asleep, Then you go to get up, and all of a sudden you have all this sensation. And yep. it can be very uncomfortable and really yes.
2: sometimes scary. Mm-hmm. It's
1: kind of like that. It's like you're waking it up, is. and waking up
2: is not necessarily pleasurable. Exactly, and I think that's until why you're fully,
1: until you get more awake, and then it's yeah. very pleasurable.
2: <laughs> and then it can be beautiful. But I think it's the same as even talking about the, the some of the trauma that people endure, and how that becomes a portal and a doorway into some of their most potent creative experiences in their lives. And I think that that idea of the, the very uncomfortable sensations, being recognition that there are sensations, you know, and sometimes I think that that is the, that is the way that a lot of people arrive at the doorway to some of the Some of that stuff if that makes sense some of the knowing is on the other side of those doorways and it 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 arrives in that way with such a bang and such an impact because all of the subtle ways that it's tried to find you tried to reach you tried to call you back have just not been loud enough for you and so sometimes it it comes in with a crash and they think that for me that even even after losing all of that weight my sensation truly didn't arrive back in any magnitude until some of the harder experiences of of losing pregnancies and of, of heartbreak and of bankruptcy and of homelessness and of some of those more louder sounds that became the beginning of following the sound into its origin, if that makes sense.
1: And so it's following the sound into the origin...
2: Um,
1: I, I'm, one of my my intentions as a teacher and and um, and practitioner is that I'm, um, I do not believe that mm-hmm. um, trauma is uh, necessary. It's a, no. one of the ways we wake up right. and it's a kind of addictive way that we wake up yeah. but, it's, um, but but so I'm not into cathartic experiences because mm-hmm. I believe that uh, and I know that it's possible to have this sense of knowing through yes. pleasure,
2: through mm-hmm.
1: uh, slowing down,
2: mm-hmm.
1: through through ways of nourishment. Yes, and and so part of you know growing wisdom, so to say, we you know it's been talked about like trauma, you mm-hmm. know, can make us wise, and you know, and people have this kind of badge of. You know, well, if you haven't been through certain yeah. things, you can't be very wise. And I disagree with that. Right. I think Again. that that uh, you know, being able to actually enter the field of the earth. Yeah. Yeah, and and feeling her nourishment,
2: and mm-hmm. feeling
1: her her warmth and support mm-hmm. and love and all the ways in which being part of this. This living body of Earth Mm -hmm. is is can be so one can track pleasure Mm -hmm. right back to the
2: the source. Yeah, 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 and
1: that's part of that um, the the womb to world story of Mm -hmm. how we arrive here is often what we keep repeating. I have under begun to really understand uh, how we repeat our mothers and. Our experience at birth hmm and so that's a piece that's very interesting to, uh, to understand that I might be yeah. repeating those patterns because that is what I understand yeah. but that you could actually learn something new so mm-hmm. you know when we are held in a womb that where we're wanted and where mm-hmm. we've been received and when we're you know we are uh, gathered and and we have this deep, profound relationship with our mother's breast. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have those experiences, but Mm -hmm. I know those experiences. So one of the things I've discovered is that in the the memory of the cells is not only Mm -hmm. all the the traumas and the historical stories, but there's this deep relationship with earth that is mm-hmm. accessible at any moment, in any time, in any yes. place with yes, through one's own sensory system by tracking the mm-hmm. pleasure. Yes, that's that. so beautiful. And I
2: think it's a more subtle relationship too, which is why so many people come into some of this stuff from those big scary things, but that doesn't mean that that's, that, that's definitely not the, the only way to experience sensation especially if you're in a place of of profound numbness in your life I love that this is the way that you're teaching because I feel like this is actually the most nourishing way to remember is to develop and, and cultivate again that again like you said tracking the pleasure and tracking the sensation of knowing that is present that is maybe more subtle to to the numb space and can arise, like you said, some of the irritation and the the resistance because that stillness and that subtle softness is intense in in a huge way. And it's intense as soon as we arrive there immediately. And I think that, like you said, pleasure and, and pain on opposite sides of the spectrum, are they're just as potent in both directions. And like you said, there, it, there's no necessity for it to be hardship and, and only cellular programming in the, in the direction of sore places, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a lot of what my journey has been in the last couple of years is that, yes, there have been a lot of things that have been painful, that have allowed me to see more of myself and there are also a lot of things even most recently in my work with orgasm and my work with the different types of of orgasm that are accessible to women that there's so much beauty there and they do they call you directly back home to the core of the earth immediately you are just drawn right back into that and working with plants too has been a huge um portal opener for me as far as just simmering and sitting and I'm not talking about like psychedelic plants, I'm talking about just just sweet ones like lavender and, and palsy and rose and just to sit with them again. And the, the sweetness of that experience and the subtlety of that experience and how much that calls you home just as much as the the, the hardships and the sore things and, and I think it all just just like the spectrum of darkness to light, it's, it's all part of the whole and so to get attached in any one direction like you're saying this badge of honor of victimhood or of survival stories and all of that to get attached in any direction or another can throw off the equilibrium of the whole and that it's just it's about honoring and acknowledging the entire the entire as it is and and having those access points through portals of pleasure what an incredible practice that you're offering too yeah yeah the nourishment and
1: the nur- one of the things I understand about the the nervous system mm. is that um the the release work the getting mm. rid of you you mm. speak to that you spoke to it because uh, we're going to circle right back because it's almost mm-hmm. time to stop um, yeah. back to the very beginning of talking about healing mm. and and um uh, the nourishment is if you if you look at at the dynamic of expression of the sensitivity you spoke about mm-hmm. and of the uh, or of people feeling reactive or feeling a lot of sensation,
2: mm-hmm. the
1: subtlety, this, a lot of subtlety gets lost in that, yeah. and 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 so you know we we feel big things but we can't feel. The, yes. the nuance the nuance yes. of life which is where the nur- nurturing is mm-hmm. it's it's where the the, the, the the finite becomes this kind of um, not just uh, digestion but assimilation yes. where yes. the earth becomes me and I am the mm-hmm. earth and there is no separation because when I eat that plant that plant I smell that plant, it starts to change my vibrational field yeah. because I'm it's actually you able. About it. Yes, it's it's a yes, it's 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 a relationship we're having. It's mm-hmm. love making. Yes. You exactly. know,
2: we, right. And that's why there's no and, using. There's no using of the plants. You're not using them. You're just relating. You're you're learning about their yes. vibration.
1: And so you go back to that idea of feeling flushed with gratitude for the ceasing mm-hmm. to grasp
2: Mm mm-hmm Yeah. Uh, exactly exactly and it's such a it's such a beautiful honoring of that like you're saying with with release it it's it's moving of that which is stagnant back into the integration of the whole and and knowing that everything is part of everything else and so we have this desire to be rid of and to to call in and it's really all just in our relationship with everything that we're cultivating more nourishing relationships with the whole that we are. Right,
1: and what I would say is that what happens when we um, kind of slow down and allow Mm -hmm. whatever is is there right in the moment Mm -hmm. is that we begin to be more porous. Yes. And as we become to be more porous, then the relationship Um, becomes a a much richer environment Mm -hmm. much more nourishing environment in which we are no longer
2: there is no longer other (laughs) exactly now which is what yoga is this is what we we, this is what I've always seen it as and so uh, this is this is what I want for us to remember with with the practice of yoga is that that's the idea is that there is no other we are all of it So we're going to
1: stop there, mm-hmm. and I'm going to. I want to say thank you very much for joining me on this little conversation journey. Mm, we you went are spectacular. on. Spectacular. <laughs> you are too, and mm-hmm. thank you for noticing my spectacularness, um, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. honor yours. So thank you so much, Jesse. It was really fun. I look forward to our next uh, opportunity to.
2: Uh, yeah. Come together. To be yeah to be, to be together yeah. yeah i i deeply deeply honor you and appreciate you in every way and all that you're contributing to to the everything it it means so much and it and it's so much medicine for me so i'm i'm incredibly thankful to learn from you
1: well thanks and thanks um people for listening and mm-hmm. i'm gonna uh, turn off the recording at this point yeah okay